The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. All right, everybody, before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, if you love the strategy of season-long fantasy sports and live for the short-term gratifications of DFS, then you have to try out weekly fantasy sports WFS on Owner's Box. Head on over to rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today. Weekly Fantasy Sports is the best of daily and season long. It keeps you engaged through live drafting and new multi-week games. Owner's Box will also be paying out users who bring their friends on board. Watch the real money rewards pile up through their first ever three-tiered referral system. Add friends, create groups, and rank up to uh, up to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. But that's not it. Owner's Box will be matching your first time deposit of up to $500 for any depositors through January 4th. Just head on over to www.rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today to claim your $500 bonus and join the new wave of weekly fantasy sports. Now, to this episode of Benched with Bubba. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 351. We're going to do some mid-round draft strategy, 12-team leagues, talking some NFBC ADPs, undervalued players, people we want to fade, all that fun stuff. In order to do so, friend of the show, making his return, we love talking to him. You can find him over at Baseball HQ on Twitter, at RyanBHQ. And, you know, I lost my hair when I was young. This man just keeps growing it like it's going out of style. Ryan Bloomfield, how we doing, man? I'm sticking to the bit, Bubba. The, the COVID hair is is. Uh, I'm not stopping yet. We've got to stop at some point, but but we'll we'll keep it going for now. No, I love it. Yeah, thanks for having me back on. Uh, I know this is probably I don't know maybe my fourth or fifth time, or it's it's just awesome yep. to be to be back on with you. And yeah, things are best time of the year, man. Just finished yep. up TGFBI and cutting my teeth in my first Raz Slam. 
learning a lot about that. That's been a really fun format. And then uh, prepping for Tout Wars and Main Event. Twitter's going and Bloom Boards are going. And it's all happening. It's all good. Yep. It's all happening. Like I said, it's a great time of the year because it's like everyone's kind of on the same page and, and working to get the info out there and kind of working together. You mentioned the Bloom Boards, which is must-see tweet every day for sure because at least – at worst, it gets your mind thinking like, hmm, and there's always a couple names on there that just makes you go, wow. Um, so that's fun. You mentioned uh, Tout War, or not Tout War, um, uh, TGFBI. I have two rounds left, almost done, almost there. But um, Raz Slam, what's your thoughts on your first year? Because last year I was overwhelmed, so I'd never done it before. This year it's a little different. Still, I think I'm overwhelmed, but it, it's a different format for sure. It's it's different, and I mean, I actually got into fantasy playing points, so I and I mean, so I have some experience with points league, but not really best ball. So yeah, it's different. I mean, it was a crash course uh, this past weekend, just trying to kind of learn the format and figure out like where should I take pitching? Cause pitching doesn't score as much, but maybe the replacement level isn't as high as hitters. Um, where do I, how much do I value a multi-position guy? How much do I devalue a utility guy? Like all that stuff's going through my head. So yeah, like I'm pretty lost, but I'm enjoying it. Like I really like the format. Um, it, it's nice, it's simple, and it's pretty low maintenance during the season, which is the two fab periods. So, um, so I'm enjoying it. It, it. It's been fun, good learning experience. We'll see how the team the team goes out. I pretty much fun and started starting pitching. Uh, I don't know how it'll work out. I've got three closers and no starters so far, so we'll see. Yeah, well, I, I took one starter early because the ground fell to like I think I was eight or nine. I just took my second starter around like sixteen. I have one closer in the middle there, but it's been all bats otherwise because. Yeah. Um, it, it's going to be interesting. I'm with you. I, I'm kind of, I, I'm going to delve into it more in, in an article when it's all said and done, but like I pulled up projections from different sites. I used like the, you know, put in the point system. And when you spit out those rankings, people would like say you're a liar. So like it's a way different system. A little different. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little, little different. Yeah. Some of the HQ projections had guys way up there that were, I was like, we have George Springer as like almost a top 10 player mm-hmm. in the format. It's just like, it's just a total recalibration of what you're used to. Because I know at least for me, like I've been doing drafts all five by five NFBC, like you just get so ingrained in where these guys are going a uh, different format. You really have to, shift your mindset and it's been it's been a fun challenge for sure yeah it definitely is um and then go ahead and plug away all your baseball hq stuff before we get going here you guys just had uh, the first pitch florida you've been working your butt off over there so what do you what else you got going on yeah we just pulled off first pitch florida online which went pretty well uh three day kind of weekend zoom uh with we had about 200 people there Um, And I was running the Zoom switches behind the scenes and thankfully no like mega catastrophes, just people on mute. And one time I did bring up the wrong guy who uh, (laughs) was surprised when I brought him up on stage. But uh, that was kind of the worst of it from a tech standpoint. So, yeah, we just wrapped that up. yeah, my I run a weekly speculator column at Baseball HQ that runs every Wednesday. So my last couple of weeks have been looking at recency bias guys and, and avoiding landmines early in drafts. I know we're talking about middle rounds today, but uh, that's what I've been working on there. And then on Twitter at RyanBHQ. And uh, yeah, I've been working on those bloom boards. If you search hashtag bloom boards, I, I try and put out one per uh, per weekday if I can. Um, but it's, it's a labor of love. Uh, it's the feedback from everyone's been awesome. And Bubba, like you said, I, I put a board up there and you think of, you know, a couple of guys show up that you haven't really paid attention to. And you're like, Oh, 
you know, let me take a little bit deeper dive into that guy and someone who I missed in my draft prep. So, so yeah, lots going on. That's that's where you can find me. Yeah, we might have to rename some of the pitching boards just the Nate Evaldi boards. Oh but, my uh, god, he's my, everywhere. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. <laughs> I hope like hell he uh, he goes through. at least like a hundred innings. I mean, come on, yeah. I'm not I'm not gonna get greedy and go like 180. But yeah. if he can, if he can prove me right here and go, you know, maybe go one fifty. Let's let's see yeah, what he give does. me like twenty five so. starts. So let's see what happens. Like, know, let's go that route. See, see where we go there. But I'm with you. Uh, let's talk some recent news real quick. Uh, Alex Bregman, his hamstring injury like a week ago. Oh, no big deal. He'll start taking batting practice. We're good. Now he's can't even take batting practice, and he keeps getting like pushed back. How concerned are you now? Because fifteen team leagues, he's on that uh, one two turn, usually in the round two section of it, but. Uh, he was going pretty high. So what's your thoughts on this Bregman hamstring injury? Yeah, starting to get a little bit more concerned every day. Um, a lot of times it's hard with spring training. Some of these things are just, you know, people ramping up and people, you know, strain things, get sore, whatever. This seems a little bit more severe. The big thing with Bregman is just like, I mean, he's going so early in drafts, like you said, Bubba. I mean, why why introduce that mm-hmm. additional level of risk in some of your first couple picks? So like, I mean, looking at the recent ADP, there's plenty of other options that are less risky. If you factor in the hamstring, um, Ozuna Springer, Starling Marte are all kind of going around where Alex Bregman is. And I would just rather take the floor of one of those three guys over Bregman. Um, the other thing too, with Bregman, like if that, you know, even if he does make opening day, um, I'm a little bit worried about the speed like Bregman didn't he didn't even attempt to steal last year. And that is part of his game uh, when he was in his in his prime. It sounds sounds like he's old, but when he was at his peak, he, you know, the stolen bases were part of the game. And I I don't know if that's going to come back with a hamstring injury. Maybe he comes back, makes opening day, but he's told to kind of red light it on the base pass. So um, it's a concern for me. I'm definitely dropping him early in in my drafts because, yeah, you just don't want to take on that additional injury risk. Injuries are already getting already going to pop up throughout your roster throughout all season. But uh, why introduce that before the season even begins that early in the draft? Yeah, I'm with you. I have no shares of him even before the injury, just something about the other guys going around that point in time. But uh, yeah. the fact the fact he's not going to steal, usually you're looking for four and a half to five category guys early on there. So it makes it tough knowing you're already losing one probably right out the gate. Um, Jackie Bradley Jr. signs with the Brewers. Lorenzo Kane might not be ready for opening day. He's not even doing baseball activities. So like people were all worried at first that Avisel Garcia is going to kind of lose out, but best shape of your life. Got to love it. But he actually looks really good. He's he lost does. like 40 pounds. He looks, he looks really good. He doesn't look like, he doesn't look like little Miggy anymore. He actually looks really good. Um, so what's your thoughts there? Like, are you in on Avi and JBJ? Does Kane still concern you? What's your thought process on that uh, Milwaukee outfield? My first thought when I saw the JBJ signing was immediately, I, this is low Kane insurance. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, Lorenzo Kane obviously opted out last year, I guess played a few games and then opted out. He's been dealing with a quad injury in camp. He's This will be his age 35 season, about to turn 35. So like those are all things that you do not want in somebody who, you know, pins their fantasy value on their speed. And he's at an age where he's just not going to recover as quickly. So I, I take it as uh, JBJ potentially supplanting Lorenzo Kane, um, at least early in the season. I think Avi Garcia is going to be okay in terms of playing time. I mean, JBJ is either going to play center or right, right? Like, I mean, Yelich isn't, obviously he's going to play every day or at least, you know, maybe six times a week. Uh, maybe they rest him a little bit with some of the back and knee stuff, but uh, pretty much looking at three guys for two spots. And I think Lorenzo Cain's kind of the odd man out uh, just because of 
what we've been hearing in camp, like similar to the Bregman thing. It's like the quad is just kind of lingering. And then when a team makes a move like that to bring in uh, somebody at the exact same position and pay JBJ, I mean, a, a pretty decent contract. Um, that shows to me that Kane is uh, is probably a little bit more banged up than the team wants us to believe. So yeah. I'm with you. He took last year off. He's getting older. He's banged up. So another guy, whatever little speed he still had left, that's pretty much going to be gone. It's just one of those deals that, I'm with you in that scenario, JBJ, but I, I'm just glad um, it's starting to come to light now because that, at first blush, everyone's like, oh, Abby's screwed. But it's like, no, let's take a step back. I think we'll be just fine with Abby on that one. So, I love the I love the Miggy Jr. comp because I did I, I saw him go three for three two days ago in spring training, and he does look – he. I mean, just from a weight yeah. standpoint, I mean, he shed some, he shed some pounds. So, uh, Abby's yeah. a guy who I was super on last year, but yeah. burned me, but, uh, he's got those skills. They're lingering. So we'll see. Yep. Yeah. If people, if people don't know what I mean, go look at a, like a rookie year, Abisal Garcia and put it mm-hmm. next to Miguel Cabrera. It is like peas in a pod. So let's go look at it. And they were both on Detroit. Um, Jake Odorizzi signs with the Houston Astros after the Framber Valdez news for Whitley's having uh, Tommy John surgery. That's official. So Odorizzi coming into Houston, you know, first people go, well, Houston can do magic with pitchers. Odorizzi's really not that bad, but he's not, like, super, super special. Are you uh, excited? Are you in for Odorizzi being a Houston Astro? Uh, He's just kind of blah, Odorizzi. Like, I think a lot of it depends on your league. If I'm in, like, a if I'm in like a 10- or 12-team mixed league um, where I want to try and take flyers on guys with higher ceilings toward the middle end of my rotation, Odorizzi's not for me. But uh, pretty stable innings floor, at least up until 2020. I think if you're in a 15 team, obviously an only league, like he could be a pretty good stabilizer as you're like, you maybe your SP3 or four or something like that. Um, but we're projecting at HQ just around a four ERA for Odorizzi, which again, in this day and age, that's, that's, that's good. I just think the error bars around that projection are pretty narrow. Like there's not a huge ceiling with Odorizzi. I don't think there's a huge floor either. So he'll be fine. Obviously it's a, it's a, it's a good landing spot in terms of uh, of run support. And and like you said, a team that knows what they're doing with, with pitching. I don't expect Odorizzi to all of a sudden develop some crazy slider and, and, and be elite, but, uh, but I think he just becomes serviceable. And um, and the forecaster, we said it was a, it was a great time to buy low on Odorizzi just because of what happened last year with the 659 ERA over 14 innings and the injuries and that sort of thing. So um, I, I expect something between like 2018, 2019, what he did there. So um, not great, not bad. But if you're in a deep league, you need those innings. You need that reliability. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, some closer situations here. Jonathan Hernandez likely to get mm-hmm. Tommy John surgery for Texas. He was kind of the one everyone was drafting as the closer and waiting because we've seen the Jose Leclerc show before. It's a rocky show. It's it's up and down. Um, I've, I've been a Jolie Rodriguez fan, but he's kind of banged up a little. Are you just staying away because it's Texas, or do you have an interest maybe in a late round target with the Rangers? I was I was, I was actually reading. I'll do a subtle plug too. I believe you've had Greg Jewett on, on yeah, the show before. Phenomenal, and, phenomenal uh, with relievers. <laughs> yes, and he puts out a coffee and closers mm-hmm. newsletter that if you don't subscribe to anyone listening, um, you need to. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I read it every morning. It's got beat writer yeah. quotes and his analysis. It, it's just fantastic. But uh, but yeah, Greg covered that this morning actually in, in, in this edition and and kind of hinted at what I was thinking too is Ian Kennedy of all people. Yeah, that's sneaky. I heard um, about. Yeah. Yeah, like I mean, Kennedy—he's two years removed from a thirty-save season, uh, twenty nineteen, with velocity and whiff upticks. Like, I mean, he at least showed signs and has closer experience. So, I would, I would put uh, 
I would put Ian Kennedy as the next man up if if Leclerc if and probably when Leclerc <laughs> falters <laughs> because like you said, yeah, it's just a, it's, it's rough sometimes. So yeah. um, I'd take some late stabs at Ian Kennedy. No one really is talking about him. No one really wants to talk about him, but uh, he's not the sexy name like Rolly Rodriguez. But uh, like you said, Rodriguez kind of banged up. So it's kind of looking like Kennedy as the, the, the primary plan B. I like that. Yeah. Greg has been on the show a few times and he's awesome at what he does with that deal. And for us on the West Coast, literally, you wake up, it's already in your inbox. Like, oh, it's, co- it's coffee and closers, and we actually could have our cup of coffee and read it. It's beautiful. Exactly. <laughs> and, and it's just like, a, a, I mean, a little hack, too, is you can just search. I just search my Gmail. I'll enter a, a closer's name in my Gmail, and there's like, boom, boom, boom. Here's the last three or four newsletters. That's awesome. On there. It's, uh, it's pretty sweet. Yep, it's very, very cool. Um, Los Angeles Dodgers. Dodgers going to Dodger, and it hasn't even started the season yet. It's pretty impressive stuff here. David Price, they've, uh, Dave, Dave Roberts has come out and said David Price likely could work out of the bullpen for them, which wouldn't shock us, I guess. He took the year off, but I know we were kind of hoping he'd be back for like 150 innings or so. Price said he'll do whatever the team wants to do. They have a slew of pitchers there. So outside of, say, Bueller, Kershaw, and company, like who who do you trust in, in L.A.? I, I, the problem is like, I trust all of them. Like yeah. there's a ton of talent there yep. um, between, you know, Dustin May, Gonsolin, even Price. I mean, Price probably the lowest of the, of that bunch, but obviously Julio Urias as well. Um, it's just a, it's hard for me in a weekly league to roster one of these guys, because if you just think about, you know, when you're sitting there Sunday night doing fab or Monday morning, <laughs> setting your lineups, yeah. um, you might get word that Dustin May might be the starter on Saturday. And so, like, what do you do with that? Do you put Dustin May in your lineup for that week to find out later, oh, never mind, we're going to do Gonsolin, or it gets pushed back? <laughs> like, it, it's just, it, to me, like, there's enough headaches going on <laughs> in life and fantasy. I don't want one more. And yep. um, not to say that there's upside with these guys with these skills, but uh, I think Dodgeritis is going to hit pretty hard, and you're just going to be frustrated every week trying to figure out, you know, who you're going to put in. And if, and if you're not, if you have Dustin May or Gonsolin and you're not starting him because you don't trust that he's going to start the following weekend, then what's he doing on your team? You know? So um, for me, it's just too much of a hassle to, to kind of, you know, to, to mess with. Now I might miss out on, you know, if, if injuries happen, one of those guys sticks in the rotation, I might miss out, but uh but yeah, I try and avoid uh, chaos and headaches as much as I can. Yeah, I'll be I'll be steering I'll be steering clear as well. But it's like one of those where you kind of said it there. We can all picture each of them having like a strong month without a question, and you'll be mm-hmm. sitting there going, mm, "I wish I was on my team." But like the other four and a half to five months, you're like, "That's just nothing I want to deal with." So I think we're just not going to do this right now, right? Uh, and like, when in the season will it stabilize? You know, like when will yeah. that rotation stabilize because of injuries or whatever? And it's just thinking like, yeah, the first month of the year, it's just going to be, uh, and then, yeah. So, um, I, I know you mentioned it. I'm on the same philosophy with you. Like, if guys already hurt, why draft them and take on the chances? I get it, but it was it was really weird because for like the last two weeks before Jared Kalinick's injury. Everyone was starting to move them up draft boards. When should I take my shot? You heard, you, expert leagues were talking about it. It was all over the place. And that, he wasn't even like on my list of guys I wanted to even bother with because of what the Mariners are doing. But now he's out three to six weeks. Pretty much insurers, rehab, minor leagues. He's going to be out for probably a month or so of the season. Is he on your do not draft list? Or do you think he's still worth like a labor in a, in a redraft fab league? Is he still worth a chance? 
I think he's still worth a chance because reading through some of the things that some of the Seattle beat writers are saying here is Kelnick feels like he's ready to go. And mm-hmm. like Nick kind of initially said that he'll be out like a week or two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you never want to totally trust a player because Kelnick's obviously itching to there, there's a history there with Seattle. Like yep. uh, he's itching to prove himself, get in the lineup immediately and, and, and prove his worth. Um the reason I'm not really avoiding Kelnick, and, and I, I was kind of off him before I started, but the reason, like, if you're on Kelnick, not to really fall back, is I just think Seattle's going to use that rehab time um, to keep him down uh, for the first maybe month of the season. I think that was their plan all along, and now they kind of have a front to be able to do that. And it looks like the price on Kelnick is is going to drop because of the injury and injury concerns. I just don't think the injury is that serious and he's going to be up at probably the same time he was anyway, even if he didn't have the injury. So in that case, um, I am okay with taking a little bit of injury risk there because I, a, I mean, he's going nowhere near where Bregman's yeah. going in drafts. So, you know, towards uh, the mid late rounds, you have to kind of embrace some risk there. And, and if you were on Kellenic before, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go off of him just because of this. I, I think, uh, you know, I think he'll be up late April, just like, you know, that was the plan all along. And this is just kind of the the reason to do it as opposed to working on defense. Yeah, no, I heard those quotes that he said too. And I was they're going, oh, how real is this? How, like, I know. He, he sounds super excited, but yeah, he's very bitter and wants to prove a point. <laughs> so it's it's going to be interesting. Well, and that's uh, the other, I mean, that's another, like he's fired up. I mean, he's yep. motivated to prove his prove own wrong. management wrong. And that, that's yeah. something you want to have. So. Like I, I said it on a previous show and I've heard it in other places that clip of Scott service saying players will tell us when they're ready. And he homers on the second, <laughs> the second he finishes the word ready was one of the best things I've ever seen. So Classic. that was, that was he's, perfect. He's ready. He is ready. He's definitely ready. Um, a couple of quick hitters that came out today. I did, didn't put them on the outline, but they're not super deep. Uh, just for people listening, Joey Votto to the IL with COVID. There's no reports on what the severity of it is. If it's minor, he should be ready for opening day. I'd imagine if it's not just something to monitor in that situation. Um, but a different question with the Reds is Clay Link tweeted out something that I didn't see until later that Amir Garrett is having elbow issues and has not thrown yet in spring, which kind of has been under the rug a bit, I yeah. would say. And we already know Lucas Sims has the arm issue. So is it um, if you had to speculate, would you go Doolittle? Would you go Antone? Um, there's there's a lot of options. There. So even Lorenzen can go back to the bullpen. We're purely speculating right now. This news is pretty fresh today, but um, if you had to, you know, draft tonight for some reason or tomorrow morning, do you have any inclinations? My inclination would actually be Doolittle, and it kind of would be anyway. Um, I just think Garrett being uh, – well, Doolittle obviously has the experience. I don't think it's going to be Antone. Like, I, they want to stretch him out, even if – you know, or, or even Lorenzen as well. Like, if, even if those guys aren't starters, I just see them being uh, multi-ending relievers. Amir Garrett just kind of works out as a lefty. Like, they don't have too many lefties in that pen. So I was a little bit skeptical of Garrett um, being an entrenched closer. And then you've got the Sims injury, and it's kind of like Doolittle's the last man left, and he's mm-hmm. no being of health himself but he at least has thrived in the role before so if i'm drafting tonight i'd probably take a stab at doolittle um in the end game wouldn't wouldn't really pay up much for it i'm not super confident it'll happen but you throw the injury risk on garrett and sims and yeah doolittle's at least there 
And this just shows how crazy the closer world is. We've talked about Ian Kennedy oh, yeah. and Sean Doolittle tonight. Like I, that wasn't even in yeah. the in the repertoire about a week ago. And then the last one I have is uh, Carlos Carrasco. He has uh, elbow issues as well. I, it's scary because of, of his age and everything. Maybe he goes the Tanaka route and says, I'm not going to have the surgery. Give me some time to rehab it. I don't know. For me, it's a stay away at this point. Do you have any thoughts on Carrasco? Yeah, I mean, if I'm drafting like now, I, you know, you kind of have to stay off a little bit just to wait. We don't have enough information. Like, it, it, I mean, the team says it, this is soreness that he has experienced in the past. I don't know how the Mets know that because <laughs> this is Carrasco's first, first year of the Mets. <laughs> but it, it could just be he's got a sore arm. Like, that happens or they're ramping up. Um, so I'm not dropping Carrasco in my rankings yet. I want to see, give it, give it seven to 10 days and let's see where he's at. Let's see if he's throwing. Let's see if he shows up in a game because it could just be elbow soreness. Um, and he'll be fine. Um, but yeah, if I'm drafting like this weekend, it's, it's tough to spend like a fourth round pick and it sucks because I mean, like Bubba, you mentioned the age, like that's also another big reason, but Carrasco is one of my yeah. kind of big targets in the fourth round. If you're, if you're, if you're avoiding that kind of first two round starting pitcher run, I think Carrasco could be just as good as some of those guys. And uh, obviously that might take a hit here when, once we get more info. Yeah. I was a big cookie fan and he, he's got yeah. the durability goes innings. Like there's a lot to love about him, but We'll see. I, I for some reason I I really need to go look back into. I feel like he's kind of done stuff. I guess in the spring with Cleveland before, and then he comes out and he's fine. But it's still scary. Eventually, that's going to catch up with you. So I mean, yeah, you never want to hear elbow soreness. No, it, it, Granky does it all the time. So maybe there's something to it. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, he's a, he's a different duck too. Um, okay, let's get to the part of the podcast. I'm really really I look forward to all of it. But this is one that I'm looking forward to because when I was uh, discussing having you on the show a while back that I heard you talk about it. It might've been on the BHQ pod or, or one of them that you enjoy the mid rounds of the draft because you really think guys can make a difference, differentiate their team. This is where you kind of win the draft for the most part. And you, you said you've seen data on it and you've talked about it. So what is it about the mid rounds that kind of gets you going? Okay. This is where I need to really do some damage. Yeah, I just think it's like it's that soft spot in in terms of like coverage and who gets covered. Like uh, obviously the first few rounds gets covered ad nauseum uh, throughout Mm -hmm. draft season. And then a lot of folks, there's a lot of coverage on just speculative end game plays that you want to throw darts at the end of your draft. And sometimes those guys worked out. A lot of the times they don't. Um, A lot of those end game and late in the draft guys, like they're, they're late in the draft for a reason. Like they don't have the skills. Whereas these middle round guys, these are guys who could legitimately be like a 10th round pick and that produces second or third round value. And if you get like, if you nail your middle rounds, if you nail that mid game um, and you get a few of those kind of second, third round values in the middle of your draft, you're setting yourself up for success. Even if you don't hit on any kind of, you know, late dart throws, like the chances of those guys doing first or second round value is so small. Um, so I just think like, and this is how I prep for my drafts is I start in the middle and I really try and hammer kind of like 150 to 250 and really focus on that kind of cohort of players because uh, a lot of those guys have the skills to make that next jump. And if you, uh, if you hit on a few of those, you're really going to rock it. Like the, I mean, I, I pulled up, um, I pulled up the 2019 main event winner, Abdul Madani, mm-hmm. uh, and looked at his roster that he drafted. And so this is, yeah, for 2019. So like two years ago, but in the, in the sixth round, he took VR. So, and VR was like a second round player that year, took Luis Castillo in the eighth. 
Rafael Devers in the ninth, the year that Ooh. Devers broke out. Eduardo Escobar in the 15th when he had over 100 ribbies. Uh, Matthew Boyd when he, Matthew Boyd was good. Okay, yeah. Um, Omar Narvaez in the 22nd round when Narvaez had his breakout. So it's just like if you hit on that portion of your draft, don't miss on your early round picks you almost don't even need you know to be successful in fab or hit on your end game um if you know, the middle round is where it's at like i really do think drafts are one in the middle rounds so. and, and i like it because you mentioned he didn't hit on every round with the big guy but if you hit on enough of them it's gonna be the difference so it's like yep. people don't need to get cute all the time but what we'll talk about is like guys that you know if you can there's like the safe guys and we won't really touch on them but there's guys with the upside or the value that all of a sudden where you could see them hitting and if they do hit, it's going to escalate, like jump you to the front as you're saying. So it makes a lot of sense. And we talk about it. And obviously when we go through this for the listeners, roster construction is going to have a big deal of where you're picking guys. So don't think like these are the guys you have to take in this round. This is just kind of what we're doing. Um, We're going to do it based on a 12 team format. Ryan was talking about 150 to 250 because that's more main event, 15 team leagues. Um, I'll stick with the online format as the ADP we're going to use. It all kind of works the same. So just, it's the same kind of idea. Um, we'll do rounds 11 through 20. So we'll start to pick 120, go to basically 240, and we'll go round by round. And we're going to talk about some guys we think might be undervalued in that round, thus the guys that could jump in value. Um, and then some guys we just want nothing to do with. Like we're just going to fade these guys. Like there's a hype train or whatever behind them. It's not worth the uh, the, the headache or the, 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 the asking price in this day and age. So we'll go that route and we'll um, have a little fun discussion here. Nothing Super crazy, but it is a fun exercise. I did this last year with the draft cheat, a, a similar type exercise, and it really it reminded me all about it when you talked about it the other day. I'm like, this would be a, a fun one to go through. So without nice. further ado, let's start round 11, 121, and my math is always great for this. So the 121 to 132, yeah, Chris Bryant, Sixto Sanchez, Wilson Contreras, Dylan Bundy, Julio Urias, Marcus Simeon, Mike Moustakis, Dylan Moore, Alex Verdugo, Kevin Gossman, Tommy Fan, and Yasmani Grandal. So when you're looking at this group of players, Ryan, who are some that stand out to you as potentially undervalued that you're willing to take some chances on? First off, I'm, I'm, I'm glad our math aligned because when I was prepping for this, the three of the names that I put in here, you at least listed. So we're at least in the right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, this is what like I said. When I did this last year, I, I, I like have my calculator right next. I'd have my calculator next to me going like, OK, that's the right number. <laughs> it, was, it was a little tough. It was a little yeah. tough. But I, 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 yeah, we're on the same page. So that's good. Um <laughs> A couple of guys here who I'm, I'm really targeting are Moustakis and Marcus Semien. Um, Semien, obviously coming off the bad year, there's a lot of rebound potential there. And you look at someone who a year ago put up that like third round season or even second round season in 2019. So Semien's a guy who, you know, not only has actually done it before, so you're not speculating on some, some level of performance that he hasn't achieved. Like he's been there. Um, new team, great team, great lineup, great park wherever they play is going to be better than Oakland. Um, so I just like, there's a lot of those, you know, the regression, fa- the positive regression factor, the the lineup and the, and the new team and the new park are all good things in Semyon's way. And like I said, he's been there before um, kind of a similar deal with Moustakis also another kind of bounce back guy. The r- real reason I like Moustakis as well is just first base, second base eligibility. Like that's huge. Um, and, and corner and middle with that. So those are two guys in the, uh, and the 11th that I'm going after pretty big time in a lot of my drafts so far. Yeah, those are the two guys that stand out to me, and I've, I've preached. I actually talked about Simeon on a different show this morning. Um, 
one thing that an extra thing to top on to everything that you said that I agree with in those 2018 and 19, he had over 700 plate appearances. So the dude plays mm-hmm. every day. Like these are things that are clutch in fantasy world. But the thing I love the most is he's going to gain second base eligibility. So in a position that I feel like you can get deep and kind of find value if you want, but if you want like that steady production level and at a higher end at second base, Simeon's going to fit that mold. And I, I love that for Marcus Simeon. So um, I've taken him in a lot of spots. And then Moose, I literally just took in Raslam earlier today as well. Like, I, I think that first base, second base eligibility yeah, is money clutch. in Raz. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It, yeah. And Raz, it, it's huge the way he's got the flexibility. And just the way the first base position kind of runs out, you can get Moose a 30 plus home run upside in that ballpark. And that's going to be tremendous by the end of the season. And he he's going to be better than he was last year, you have to imagine. So there, there's a lot to like there. Um, are there any fades for you in this range? Couple fades. So we talked about the Dodger right so mm-hmm. Urias is is here. But uh, another a guy I'm fading is just because I don't know is is Dylan Moore. I just yep. think the floor is just he could be fine and he could deliver five category production and most importantly steals at a second base and outfield. Like I get it, but this is a guy with really zero pro- prospect pedigree on a team where Seattle's not the greatest, but like if Dylan Moore reverts back to what he was as a prospect and we're judging him just based off of a 60 game season last year, like there is a legitimate potential of Dylan Moore, um, you know, being out of a job by May. And that just, that just scares the crap out of me uh, this early in a draft. And I, I don't think the ceiling is there for him to return even like a fifth round pick. So uh, for those reasons, Dylan Moore is my fate. I get the reasons why people are taking him, but the uh, yeah the floor is is the ocean yeah i have not drafted dylan moore anywhere he really scared because like the floor is the ocean is a per- perfect reason to, to to not take the chance on him like i get it if you're like in an overall competition and you hope he is the guy you saw there's tons of upside here I, I i don't blame you with that but there's a lot of question marks and it's one of those that those are the question marks i'll take like five six rounds from now with right. some, someone else not not at this point in draft when i have those guys Right there. Um, the other guy I'll mention because I feel like I have to to keep to keep true to what I've said the whole season, and many people disagree with me. Very many smart people disagree with me. I'm still not taking Kevin Gossman at this ADP. Awesome. I, I I just I just can't do it. I, I I'm a diehard Giants fan. People know that, and I hope he yeah. pitches great. I hope I'm wrong. I really do. But when you're relying on the splitter to be as dominant that long yet again, that scares me because like Nick Pollock and guys that really know pitching have said it time and time again. It's one of the ones that can leave the fastest and hardest to find again. And if that, if that splitter is not working and you realize on this fastball, it's sure game velocity, but that's really all you got left. That's not going to be good. So that scares me with Kevin Gossman. Yeah. I'm on board with that. So like, and here's the thing with Gossman, like there's, you're buying him at the absolute peak value right now. Like, I mean, this guy, we know who Kevin Gossman is and HQ like kind of, end of year earnings for Gossman, negative three, negative three, eight, negative two, five, negative eight, and then 13 last year. Like what's the next number in that sequence? It's probably not higher than 13. So uh, I get it. Yeah. I, I, when they first got him, I said, make him the closer. I'm all for that. But uh, so we'll wait and see. Um, Let's head to round 12. Now we'll go through 133 to 144. Uh, Pablo Lopez, Victor Robles, uh, Tommy Edmond, Patrick Corbin, Will Myers, Craig Kimbrell, Sandy Alcantara, Ramon Laureano, Mike Yastrzemski, Travis Dearnode, Jorge Soler, and Cabrian Hayes. It's a fun range because you got some yeah. youngsters that people are pretty hyped up on. You got some veterans that are kind of soured at times, but they all have some interesting appeals. So um, who are you uh, looking as undervalued plays in this range? 
I'm going to go Corbin, Patrick Corbin, and uh, Ramon Laureano as my two. Um, again, you're, you're kind of sensing a theme here, guys, coming off of bad 2020s. Like, I'm very much discounting a lot of these things that happened last year. But with Laureano, um, I just I hope he can I hope he runs again. He I think he only attempted like three bags last year, but uh he's in the running to lead off for Oakland. And that not only tells me that obviously that he could right rack up plate appearances and that sort of thing, but it also tells me Oakland is okay with him running again if he's gonna lead off. And I think that's gonna be huge for Loriano to uh to rekindle that value. Loriano's been you know, a fifth, sixth round ADP guy the last couple of years just had a bad season. And really the power wasn't that far off. The barrel rate was, was, was pretty good. He's made a couple of bloom boards for having good barrel rates, good raw power without the results in 2020. So um, I think Loriano's a lot better than what we saw last year. And he's getting, uh, he's getting penalized pretty harsh by the market with 140. So um, big fan of, uh, of where he's going at that price. Yeah. Um, Loriano, I'm on board hundred percent with you. I loved him last year. He seemed to be kind of doing okay. Then he got in that fight because someone's making fun of his mom, yeah. and he, he never came back the same after that. So it was it was a weird one for sure. Corbin, I'm glad you mentioned him because he's polarizing. Yes, like I've sat there and I've I've looked at the ADP and I'm like, this is a dude that was at worst a third round pick like recently. And I know that's not the way to justify every draft pick, but you're sitting there going, he was there for a reason. Like he was the production was there, and I know the velocity's down and everything, but we've seen guys as they get older, velocity can drop, but they become more pitchers than throwers. And he feels like he could be that guy. And, uh, you know, playing DFS, I, I tell people I, I enjoy playing DFS because it helps me be a better season-long player. When I watched or used Corbin a lot on those nights, it was like one inning where he was left out too long or they made an error or something goofy happened that would blow up more often than not. So he wasn't that far off, I think, from a really strong season. So I was really – I'm really – Interested in Corbin is a guy I feel like if you do take him and he reverts back to even close to what he was before, definitely getting some nice value. Yep. And again, someone who's been there before, like he's put up, he's put up the production. He's been there. And really, yeah, I mean, we talk about the velocity drop, but it was 90.2 last yeah. year. And in 2018, his real breakout, it was 90.8. So it's yeah, like a big it, difference. Yeah. So he's just got to get that slider back and I think we'll be all right. Yeah, the only other uh, main undervalued guy I would look at here, because I, I, I like those two, the fact that the Washington Nationals are saying they want Victor Robles to be their leadoff uh, hitter, they they basically, he has to not earn it this this preseason, this spring training. It's his job for the taking. Victor Robles being a leadoff hitter, to me, makes him a top 100 player pretty easily for me when it comes to drafts, because just all those extra at-bats from where he used to be in the bottom of the order, now he's at the top. He's got those guys at Turner and Soto and company behind him, Schwarber, Bell, all these big bats. He's going to run because they know they like to run there. This is a 40-plus stolen base upside guy, and he has power. People forget that because they look at the stat cast numbers, which stink, but he does. he's had 20-plus home runs. Like The guy can do it. I think if he is the leadoff hitter, this is a potential steal at this, at this draft price. I'm not as high on Robles, uh, but I get it uh, for the reasons that you said. Um, I just need to see more. I need to see that ability I get it. a little bit more at the major league level. But uh, yeah. but but yeah, I mean, dude's like what 23, and yes, we've he's already, very young. We, we're acting like we already know who he is, and uh, yep. and that's who he is. So totally get it. Yeah, I'm intrigued by that one. Uh, who are some fades in this range? Fades were honestly a little bit tough for me. Like I actually, this is a nice little like pocket of the draft. If I had to go anybody with a fade, it'd be Tommy Edmond. Yeah. Um, I think just a lot of people love the multi-position eligibility. And I mean, what's not to love second base, third base, shortstop outfield. 
Um, and I think this was an HQ radio quote with Gene McCraffrey, but it was something like if, you know, if, you know, you eat, ah, I forget what, what it was, but basically Tommy Edmond, like not that great. And if he's not that great at a lot of different positions, you're getting somebody who's just <laughs> not that great. doesn't make him a better hitter. Um, and so, yeah, like there's not much power there. We'll see if the speed game goes, but I think he's just being propped up a lot because of that multi-position eligibility and everyone's so desperate for, uh, for steals and that's inflating his value. So if I had to pick one, like I, Edmund probably won't be a total bust. Like he's going to play a lot and he does qualify everywhere, but um, I just don't think the skills are there to expect what we saw from him in 2019. Yeah. This is a great range. Like you said, like if basically how your roster is getting built, you can pretty much fill almost any need Different in this range. Guys, yeah. So that's really good. And I a hundred percent agree with the Edmund take. The scary part is I have a lot of Edmund because <laughs> And I, and I like when I draft him now, I don't feel good about it, but it's like I look at the other second baseman and I'm like, okay, well, he fits there. And then the multi position is a big part for me because if I can attack different spots later in the draft, I don't have to, like it's, I don't know. I'm just trying to justify myself, I guess, but it, it is scary. It doesn't make me feel all warm and fuzzy. Let's put it that way when I, what, when I draft him. What about, uh, what about Kimbrell? He was someone I looked at a lot. Like, and yeah. I actually have on a lot of teams. I, have I almost listed him too. as a fade because, like, yeah. Oh. He scares the hell out of me. Yeah, I'm I'm buying in for now. His, his uh, spring training appearance yesterday, the day before against the A's, was not uh, comforting. But yeah. um, I'm buying in for the fact is I've heard the beat reporters say it. I've heard coaches say it. After he had that rough start last year, they kind of you know demoted him for a bit. They've all said the same thing. They didn't. They've not seen a reliever pitch that well for that long of a period in a long, long time. So I have a feeling he still has that in him to be that closer and you're not paying that exponential Kimbrel price we used to pay. So I'm willing to give it a shot on a Cubs team that should win enough games to keep him relevant. Yeah, and the other big thing for me, yeah, like he, I mean, I think it was 13 of his last 14 appearances were scoreless. Yep. I mean, that's, and, that's and that's after everybody gave up on him because mm-hmm. he was so bad at the beginning of the year, so no one really noticed it. I mean, the other thing is just, I mean, he seems to be locked in and has as long of a leash as any closer out there and now you know the skills can change that if he if he blows up early again but uh yeah that was just someone who i was i I don't know i have a lot of and i could see it going badly but we'll see yeah no i'm with you edmund and kimbrell i have so much of that i i'm with like they're they're not the most comforting picks the more i keep drafting them (laughs) it's like diversify the portfolio boba come on um round 13 145 to 156 we have nick anderson uh, Kyle Lewis, Michael Brantley, Josh Bell, Ryan Mountcastle, Fran Moraes, Dylan Carlson, Christian Vasquez, Rafael Montero, Eric Hosmer, Alex Colome, and Andres Jimenez. He's up to 156 now. Um, what are you liking as an undervalued plays in this range? Undervalued plays here is just, you know, old faithful Michael Brantley. Yep. You know, I mean, that guy. And this is like, you. I mean, you mentioned Bubba roster construction. Brantley is only a guy I'm going to take on certain teams. Like if I've, if I've gone heavy uh, power and steals at, you know, if I take, you know, maybe like, uh, I don't know, if I'm low in batting average, I'm going to take him. But if I, you know, if I need counting stats, I'm not going to take Brantley. But Brantley's just, I mean, he's money in the bank. Uh, you just got to know from a team construction standpoint what you're getting into with him because you're not going to get many homers or, or bags, but you are going to get that average. You are going to get those counting stats. Um, another another guy up here who I'm gonna, just going to take a shot on, completely opposite of Michael Brantley is Dylan, Dylan Carlson, um, you know, probably the lower average, but there's talk of him potentially leading off in St. Louis mm-hmm. and playing every day. I think that was pretty apparent 
when they dealt uh, uh, Dexter Fowler to Anaheim. So Carlson's going to get a shot. He's not typically like the type of guy I would take here just because he doesn't have that much major league experience. And it's not like a, a bounce back play like a lot of the other targets that I've mentioned so far. But uh, but yeah, he could he could take that everyday job and hit lead off and run with it. So uh, those are two guys who uh, different different spectrums of their career, but uh, intriguing in their own way. Yeah, the Brantley is a phenomenal later batting average source, like a, a really, really good one, like you mentioned. So uh, he definitely – and he gets overlooked all the time, like you mentioned. It's it's funny that he does, but year in and year out, it's third or fourth in that lineup and produces. So yep. enjoy. And runs and ribbies, which people uh, overlook, overlook a lot. So. Yep, big time. And I, I like the Dylan Carlson shot. I uh, looked at him a lot for some research earlier this offseason, and people look like the overall spectrum, and it's not great, but – he started out really, really rocky situation. Uh, I remember Eno Saris talking about the pitch mix was really different. Like they weren't throwing him fastballs at all, which was really strange for a youngster. Usually, it's hit the fastball, then will change, but they didn't do that. So he went to the off uh, offsite camp, came back, and he raked. You look at his hard hit rates, look at his barrel rates, everything that you want to see. He figured out, and he started hitting off speed pitch as well. So he started throwing more fastballs, and he started crushing those. So there's a lot to like there. We saw his um, minor league season in 2019, where he kind of burst onto the scene. And then in the, the, one of the biggest things I loved is in the postseason, they batted him clean up every game. Yep. That's, yep. that's pretty pretty telling to me of what they think of Dylan Carlson. So I'm with you there. I think he's a good gamble. I'm not sure exactly what the ceiling is, but definitely more upside than pick 151. So I, I'm with you there. Other than that, it's kind of a, an interesting range that I'm not really in love with a ton of undervalues here. I'm kind of more – I actually probably more fades in this range. So what are some of your fades here? Uh, the easy fade for me is Nick Anderson. I just mm-hmm. someone who's not even the closer going in the top 150 to me is kind of bonkers. So uh, Anderson is the easy fade for me. I just that Tampa Bay pen is is a cluster and always will be as long as cash is there. So um, there's no way I'm touching Nick Anderson with with a 10 foot pole this year. Yeah, Anderson's not happening. I'll, I have a lot of Peter Fairbanks later in draft. I'll just go that route if I want. If I want to deal with Tampa Bay's head, yeah. Even if, yeah, I don't even have. I don't. I'm pretty sure I don't have a single Tampa reliever. Yeah, it's only, only, only if you want the headache. He's he's back there. But a couple others like Kyle Lewis. A lot of what you said about Dylan Moore yeah. scares me. With Kyle Lewis as well. Like obviously, if Kalinick's going to be up there, that's a new outfielder. They have a lot of depth in that minor league system of guys that are really close to being ready to play. So if Kyle Lewis reverts back to a heavy strikeout guy and then the power disappears, they have no problem mixing that up too. So. I'm kind of concerned with him. And then I guess I would say um, Ryan Mountcastle, I, I think he's good. I think he's just overpriced right now. I, I think he needs to do a little more to prove it. He, his BABIP was almost 400 last year. So there's going to be some serious regression coming his way. But uh, that, that's just more nitpicky than anything. It's pretty much Kyle Lewis in this range for me. Yeah, uh, real Mountcastle's, quick, be- a, Mountcastle's a good call. Yeah. Go Before we move on, what's just your take on Andres Jimenez? Oh my God. Uh, it's tough because it's very tough. <laughs> he could, he could hit lead off for a second for Cleveland or he could start yep. in Columbus in or the alternate yep. <laughs> site. Um, it, it sounds like from the tea leaves we're seeing in spring training, that's going to be more the former than the latter. Yep. Um, the problem with that is Jimenez will not be at this ADP if it is the former, if he is playing every day, uh, cause he is kind of lighting it up in spring. And so that's going to increase that draft cost. So, um, super wide range of outcomes. I almost put him as a, as a fade just because you're, you're 
I think that ADP is going to go up even higher and you're investing a pretty decent amount of capital and um, someone we just haven't seen that much of. So it was tough. I, I get the case for it, but uh, I get the case against it. One other guy here uh, who I'm fading is Rafael Montero. Mm-hmm. I could just see, I mean, for Seattle, like I could just see him being out of a job, you know, mid-April. I just don't really like the skills there. He's being drafted totally as a closer. And I mean, he is their closer, but that could go wrong in many different ways. So he's another one who I haven't really touched closer wise. Like I, him compared to Kimbrel the round prior, it's not even close for me. Yeah. I'm with you. Kimbrel's job security, like you mentioned earlier is much more settling. Um, Seattle's has so many moving parts there. They're not afraid to trade people. They're not afraid to move guys around. Like if Montero starts out, well, he will be on another roster. Like that's just how it's going to go. Yeah. (laughs) That's the thing. Like even, yeah, yeah. if he, if he does poorly, you're screwed. And if he does well, he's probably gone. So it's and not closing where he's going. So (laughs) just accept it. That's a fair, that's a fair take. (laughs) Yeah. So it's it's tough. It's tough. Uh, Let's go to round 14 here. We have pick 157 to pick 168. Gary Sanchez, a lot of discussion on him these days. Uh, Didi Gregorius, Frankie Montas, Joey Gallo is just crushing baseballs again. Gio Urshela, Corey Kluber, Ian Happ, Reese Hoskins, Trey Mancini, Clint Fraser, Anthony Santander, and Taylor Rogers. So another interesting group of names here. Who stands out as undervalued to you? I'm going to go, and I, I don't have – I have not rostered him yet at all, but Ian Happ, I think. And, and you'll you'll see a lot of this familiar these familiar themes, batting leadoff going up. I mean, Ian Happ's going to be Chicago's everyday leadoff hitter. Um, has great power. Obviously, in OBP leagues, he uh, he gets even more value. But really, the strikeout rate, you know, is is not as bad as at least I previously thought in terms of his batting average floor. So um, we're projecting Ian Happ at HQ to hit 250, hit 30 home runs, and steal eight bags. And that's only in well, we have him 500 at bats, but that's because there's a ton of walks there. So um, that could even go up higher with with batting leadoff in Chicago. So Ian Happ's a uh, he's a target for me, even though for whatever reason, maybe team construction, I haven't gotten him yet. But uh, but I think he's a good four and a half category guy, a $16 earner last year with uh, with room to grow from that. So um, Ian Happ stood out to me big time here. Yeah, I love Ian Happ this year. The Cubs as a whole – they cannot be as bad as they were last year. No, like that was no. such a mess. Like Rizzo, Baez, you just name it, and they all were just garbage. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, they should be better with Hap leading off. And, and you, you are justifiably correct by saying these leadoff guys over and over again because it shouldn't have to be explained too often. But obviously, the more they lead off, the more at-bats, the more run production. Like There's just so many things that we love about them. So they, they've named him the leadoff hitter. He's going to play every day. Like There's no reason not to love Hap. I'm, I'm with you big time there. And then listeners of the show are going to know the two I, I love. I have way too many shares of Reese Hoskins. Um, if people look back at his strong 2017 and 18 seasons and just every pretty much metric you want, they mimic what he did last year, and people are still down on him. So um, I, I'm back on Hoskins. I, I know the injury is a concern, but he's already feeling fine and playing, so I'm not too concerned there. And then Trey Mancini, I think, is going way too cheap. Yeah. Um, for like a 30, 30 to 35 home run guy that's going to play first base and outfield eligibility in a great ballpark to hit in. So those two guys, if you're waiting on first base, I, I'd get one of them 
whichever one you more feel more comfortable with probably. But uh, those are two guys I, I definitely think are undervalued in this range. Yeah. I'd love to see a Mancini come back. That would be, just be awesome. Obviously yeah. great guy to root for. So hope that goes, goes well. I think, uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah, you're, you're discounting the guy for not playing last year and we know who he is before that. And it was pretty damn good player. Um, yeah. yeah. Gary Sanchez, man, you mentioned him at the top, like, I'm more willing to target him than fade him here just because at catcher, it starts to kind of go off a cliff here pretty soon. Mm -hmm. And again, somebody who at least has shown the ability, if you adjust for catchers and value and that sort of thing to be a second or third round guy, and he's not super old yet. It's just, will he stay the Yankees everyday catcher towards the end of last season, the postseason he was not. So that's, that's the rub, but uh, that's a guy who's been there before and is young enough to get back there. Yeah, it's it's one of those if he can just hit like two forty, yeah, like you're so happy because he's gonna hit so many home runs. But man, it's yeah. tough. But but you're not paying the premium anymore, okay. so that that's a good thing about it. Nope, um, and you love that lineup. Yeah, love. Yeah, it's hard not to like that lineup. That's for sure. Uh, any fades in this range? Biggest fade that I had was uh, Devin Williams. Kind of yeah. for the same reason as Nick Anderson, like not not the closer. Um, and I think just. The bigger takeaway for me is, yes, like Devin Williams just had a monster season last year, um, but you shouldn't be – there are there are not Devin Williamses every year, like to the extent of what he did was just, was just nuts. But you really want to find the next Devin Williams in the 25th round and not pay for last year's Devin Williams in the 14th or whatever round. Third, yeah, 14th. Um, it's just – I don't think the ratios are going to be there again. Like nobody – God could not have ratios like that over 162 game season. So he's a fade for me. Uh, Taylor Rogers is another fade for me just because, you know, role. I don't know, you know, with column A in there, I don't, it's too, it's too nebulous to, to know if he's going to be the closer or not. Yeah. Rogers is the one that stands out to me as well. Like the, the dude's good, but we know Baldelli and you did it with the Rogers in the past. Yeah. He'll use them for one or two innings and he'll get a day off. That's why Romo always got saves. They're gonna get. They, they hired. Or they signed Colome for a reason. He's gonna get his chances as well. Rogers could still get you twenty five plus saves. That could happen, but there's a lot more question marks involved there. There's definitely at least like a sixty forty committee potentially going on there, and you can get a lot of those kind of guys later in the draft. So I'll pass on that situation. The only, only other guy I probably I'm just afraid to target as well as Corey Kluber. I'm just. I don't know. I know he's really good. If if I believe in the stuff we talked about, Patrick Corbin, I should probably believe in the same thing about Corey Kluber. There's just something that doesn't feel, feel right with Corey Kluber and what we've seen, the, the drops in his velocity, the drops just in his overall production. Now he's in Yankee Stadium in the AL East where there's a lot of great offenses. I, I am concerned with Corey Kluber. So. Yeah, I think I think it, it, I'm a lot more worried about Kluber than I am like a Corbin just because of the age and injury. Like I, he has looked good so far. Um but I just can't see him holding up over, over a full season. So let's head around 15, 169 to 150. You got Austin Nola, Tyler Molle, Mike Soroka, Will Smith, Zach Eflin, Dalton Varsho, James McCann, Tristan McKenzie, Jonathan VR, Nick Solak, and Marco Gonzalez. This is much more of a fade range for me, it seems like. But what are you seeing here? Uh, these are my two easiest targets uh, that I immediately put down. That's Eflin and Malley. Um, okay. Uh, Eflin, I just I love the uh, 
the curveball that he flashed last year, he made a bloom board for an underutilized pitch that is elite, and that is Zach Eflin's curveball. He threw it 13% of the time with a 21% swing strike rate, which is just crazy for a curve, and a 50% ground ball rate. And that was pretty much a new pitch for him. He threw the curve 5% in 2019. So we bumped that from 5 to 13. And I think, I think Eflin could even bump that up a little bit more to like 20%. I mean, there's a certain point where you can't just throw your curveball 40% of the time and that sort of thing. But, but through 52% singers and 13% curveballs, I think if he tightens that gap even a little bit more, um, there's even more growth for, for Zach Elflin there. So we have, we had him down as a 345 XERA last year and a 111 X whip. And uh, I think that's a skill level. Uh, you look at the sinker too, with the ground ball, almost 60% ground ball rate on the sinker. Like Eflin has, all of the tools to be able to break out. So um, he was an easy target for me. And then Tyler Malley as well. Just, uh, and I don't think, I don't think a lot of folks realize just how dominant he, he was last year. Uh, 30% K rate, 11.3 K per nine. The swing strike rate was way up. Uh, Velocity was up. Great fastball, great slider. And he's working on that split finger. So those two guys are pitchers who, um, and I haven't really listed too many starting pitchers uh, yet in terms of targets. I think the last one was Corbin like three rounds ago. Uh, but I'm definitely building some teams around having Mally and or Eflin um, in the middle of my rotation. I'm really high on, on both of those guys this year. Yeah, I have nothing really to add there because I'm not really targeting too many other guys in this range. But uh, I love the Eflin and Molly calls. I think two guys that you can definitely um, build around, as you are saying. So 100% on board with you there. Um, who are you fading in this range? Biggest fade probably, yeah, there's a few. Um, Marco Gonzalez, I hate to say it, but I just, uh, there's just there's just too much contact there. And again, kind of buying somebody at their, their peak value. Tristan McKenzie's another one for me who I just, you know, it, it, it sucks to fade a Cleveland pitcher because those guys know what they're doing. Um, I just worry about the durability, the in-season velocity drop in 2020. Um those are those are two pretty big red flags for me where McKenzie's going. So uh, those two guys are fades for me. Yeah, McKenzie's a definite fade for me, and I keep going back and forth on um, Dalton Varsho because like yeah, I, yeah, I just don't know if he's gonna get the PT out the gate, and that's concerning. Like you're, you're drafting him here because he has catcher eligibility. That's the only reason why. Yep. So and um, bags. So. Yeah. Um, the other one who I, I could see both sides is, is VR like right now. Sure. I mean, he's a fade because he doesn't have a job and there's like literally 53 met hitters (laughs) that could could get reasonable playing time for them this year. But on the flip side of that, VR is like one injury away from, uh, getting an everyday role and running and putting up some value. You see how that goes. Yeah, you've seen you've seen how it goes. Even though if he's not a you know the best real life baseball player, he's put up for second round value in the past. But uh, it's just not there for me yet. I think the Mets were banking on an NLDH and uh, didn't happen. Yeah, and the last one for me would be Will Smith, Atlanta. They uh, people are drafting him as the closer. I think he gets a lot of this closing jobs, but Chris Martin is going to get his too. So yeah, it, yeah, it kind of seems like a yeah, that's another plug for Greg Jewett, but he's been all over that. Yeah. But yeah, it kind of seems like a split there. So it's just going to be you're going to have weeks with Will Smith where you just get nothing, maybe a couple innings, and and that's it. So all right, round 16, 181 to one ninety two. You have David Price, Shohei Otani, Aaron Savali, Herman Marquez, Richard Rodriguez, Sean Murphy, Leody Tavares, Chris Bassett, Jameson Tyon, Jose Urquidy, 
uh, Gene Segura and Matt Barnes, a little bit more to like in this range, at least for me, who are some of the undervalued targets for you? Bloomboard guy from today in terms of uh, ramping up his, his slider usage. So that's uh, Aaron Savali. I, lo- I love that pitch. I love the cutter curveball. He's got the uh, he's got the repertoire, and he's on a team that knows how to use that repertoire. So I found it pretty interesting that McKenzie's going above Savali because I don't think that's really all that close. I would take Savali in, in a heartbeat. Um, in a heartbeat there. Another one who I'm taking a little bit risky, but again, a guy who's been there before is Josh Donaldson. He's looked pretty strong this spring. I think Minnesota is going to slow play him a little bit, give him, you know, a day or two off a week. But when that guy's healthy and when he's rolling in Minnesota, he's going to put up some huge numbers. And again, the price is really cheap for someone who's been there before. And even as recently as like 2019. So uh, Savali and Donaldson really stepped out to me. And I just took Donaldson in, uh, in Razzlam. So kind of backing that up a little bit yeah i'm starting to buy more and more into donaldson these days that like early in in drafting i was really concerned because you never know with his health and mm-hmm. i still am not sold on his health by any means because we've seen it time and time again but when he's out there he's gonna be very very productive so i think that'll be good i love the savali call that's a guy that i've had circled kind of like how you talked about eflin i think savali I, I was all over him last year obviously what weird situation last year but he made the um the delivery change the same kind of delivery change like Giolito and company have made. And we've seen how that works and how it affects and helps their off-speed pitches. I like that a lot. And the other thing is, in a season when we're talking about innings pitched to be so important, the Indians yeah. will throw Aaron Savali. Yes. Yeah. So great that point. is going to be tremendous. I pick like 183 or 186, wherever you think he's going. That's that's huge. So big fan there. Uh, what are some of the fades for you in this range? Couple fades are going to be. Let's see who I who I who I put down. Yeah, David Price, but we already yeah. we already yeah, kind of talked about him. Somebody uh, Matt Barnes is another fade. I just don't know if he's going to be Boston's closer. Um, don't like the control there. He's had plenty of opportunities to take over in Boston and hasn't really shown it. Um, Tyon, I'm not that high on. Again, really rooting for him, but I probably a next year kind of guy. Um, I just don't think he's built up enough to, to get enough innings in New York. So those are all guys I'm kind of out on. And then one guy I'm torn on who I have a lot of is Richard Rodriguez. Um, I have kind of been reading and assuming that he's going to be the closer, but I'm not so sure that's actually the case. Like Pittsburgh has not actually come out and named him the closer. Maybe Kyle Crick goes in there or maybe Rodriguez gets traded. So he's tough. Uh, Love the skills. And if he is the closer, that's a great buy. But uh, there's there's a little bit of hesitation there for me. Yeah, I have Rodriguez in a, in a handful of places as well, and I'm starting yeah. to hear the, the Kyle Crick buzz also. So yeah. doesn't make me feel warm and fuzzy, but I think for now it's Rodriguez's job, but definitely something to uh, keep an eye on for the next few few weeks of spring. Don't uh, doubt that at all. Right, and then how many games are Pittsburgh going to win? That's a whole yeah, That's other, always a fun a one, too. A other deal. But. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, let's talk round 17, 193 to 204. Jordan Hicks, Pomeranz, Valdez, Kyle Schwarber, CJ Krohn, Jared Kalenic, Mitch Garver, AJ Pollock, Nick Madrigal, Max Kepler, and Marcus Stroman. This is a fun group as well. So who are some undervalued plays for you? A lot of buys here. I'm going to cheat here a little bit and say CJ Krohn, but he's CJ Krohn's going to be climbing and climbing and climbing. (laughs) Some of this, yeah, we're going back like a month. So some of this data is from uh, before he was in Colorado. I have the ADP page up, but you know what? It shows like one of the leagues you're in on the right side. So this was the Battle of the Podcast League we did back in January, I think, or maybe February. He went to pick 328. 
<laughs> so wow. yeah, yeah. So just That's imagine. I'm thinking he goes as high as like 120 ish. I was just gonna, yeah, yeah. I was just thinking like 10th round in a 12 teamer. Like I yeah. probably that's probably where he's gonna go. Um, yeah. So. so. Kind of cheating a little bit, uh, but another couple guys here I like. Uh, AJ Pollock had a great year last year in mm-hmm. in LA, and we think of LA as um, kind of Dodgeritis on the hitting side too. But Pollock doesn't really have that much competition in the outfield. Like I, I think he's going to be an everyday guy, and we'll see about the speed. But he was really, really good last year, and, and he's got a pretty clear path to playing time. Um, last one, Gene Segura. Not the highest upside, but someone who's going to play second and third base in a great lineup and give you pretty modest five category production. So you're you're not going to get that chance for like a third round ROI. But uh, Segura is not going to hurt you, and uh, that that multi pause is, is is really good. So those three guys really stuck out for me. Yeah, I'm a big Segura fan, Crone as well. And then Pollock, I, I love that you mentioned him because he gets underappreciated. People just kind of think, oh, it's AJ Pollock because he gets hurt every year. And he misses like 10 to 20 days, it feels like. But when he's out there, he's 20-plus homers, runs a bit, hits for a good average on a good baseball team. So, yeah, I think he's a very underappreciated play. And it's one of those, okay, if you want to factor in an IL stint or two, you're still going to get his production plus whatever reserve you put in in this place. So you're going to get a very good ball player. And uh, I think it gets overlooked with Pollock. The other one I have here is Marcus Stroman. He's a guy I've been um, going heavy on. Similar to the Savale um, Stroman's going to throw innings. And one thing I love about Stroman is he's working on a new pitch, which actually mm-hmm. could help him actually get strikeouts, which will be nice. But uh, he pitches with a chip on his shoulder. And I think that goes a long way with him. I know it's not a category you look up on baseball savant, but uh, just when you watch Stroman pitch in big outings, like think World Baseball Classic or stuff like that, when he has a chip on his shoulder, he brings it. And I think that's something that's going to focus him a lot this year. I think he's a, a much higher pick come next season. So. Having Lindor is going to help. Moving from yep. the AL to the NL is going to help. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, who are some fades in this range for you? Uh, Nick Madrigal is the easy fade yes. for me. Great I time. just uh, Oregon State guy. Like he just played <laughs> just down the road from me, but. Uh, you know, there's something to be said for not striking out and running, but that's all he does. It's yeah. it's you're you're literally getting zero power, probably not any RBI. Like it's a literal two category guy, and it, you're just if you if you're taking Nick Madrigal, you're falling back so far in power that um, you're you're just setting yourself back. So he's he's the easy fade for me. I just I I can't see it until he shows at least some type of pop in the in the major league level. Yeah, no, I I could comp Tim if you want Nick Madrigal, just wait and take Arias like a hundred picks later. Right, same guy. I mean, might run a little bit more, but it's very yeah. similar profile. Yeah, it's not exactly. gonna it, it basically you're drafting Arias for the bad average, so take him later. Don't don't Madrigal's gonna bat ninth too. It's just a bad re- recipe. Yep. Um, round 18, we have 205 to 216. Justin Turner, Miguel Sano, Benintendi, Winker, McCutcheon, Drew Smiley, Amir Garrett, Dallas Keiko, Christian Walker, Greg Holland, Dustin May, and Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, what do you like in his undervalued plays in round 18? As I delete Amir Garrett off my sheet pre-injury, yeah. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll pivot a little bit and go Jesse Winker and Benintendi. Maybe I'm just a sucker for Benintendi because I, I could have said the same exact spiel last year. Here's a guy who has put up second, third round value in the past, has the po- prospect pedigree, still young enough to turn it around. Um, but again, same deal last year, and he went down even worse. So I still think it's there with Benintendi, and now it's you know outside of a 280p. Um, 
he's worth a shot. And really, Kansas City's lineup isn't that bad. No, it's um, pretty you're going to be hitting around like Whit Merrifield in front of Carlos Santana, Jorge Soler. Like if Ben Intendi hits second in that lineup, that's actually a pretty good spot. And uh, probably just needs a change of scenery. So um, I'm banking on a rebound there from Ben Intendi. I like that quite a bit. Uh, my main undervalued here is Christian Walker. Uh, I like mm-hmm. him a lot at first base for Arizona. Um, the hard the, the hard hit contact skills are very very good. Just uh, needed to elevate the ball a little more last year. A lot of doubles, which the year before were home runs. We've seen that change from time to time as well. Given the the new ball could could hamper that. But what you're getting with he's not just power like a lot of people think. He hits for average as well. So I think there's a lot to like there with Christian Walker this late if you're still looking for first base or corner infield. Yep. Uh, what are some fades for you? Biggest fade and Toby, if you're listening, my bad man. But uh, yeah, I'm glad you're doing it, not me, because I'm the same. <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can go with Smiley, but uh, if if you've heard the the Rob Silver rant on the Launch Angle podcast about Smiley, that will convince you. But uh, I think we're just pegging too much on on 25 or 26 innings or whatever he did last year and um, parlaying that forward. So Smiley is my fade. 100% with you. I was on the Fantasy Pros podcast, and I mentioned the same thing. 26 innings, that's a great sample size to go all in on. So yeah. uh, that, that that's just the easy way of saying it. There's, there's more to it. But, uh, yeah, it's tough. Very, very <laughs> tough. Uh, round 19, we have 217 and 228. Cronenworth, Christian Javier, Austin Riley, uh, Heaney, Bradley, uh, Eliezer, Hernandez, Ramel Tapia, John Means, Michael Pineda, James Paxton, Jared Walsh, and Giovanni Gallegos. So what are you seeing undervalued in round 19? I don't know if it was for you, Bubba, but like this was like my hardest round because I'm kind right. of indifferent to like almost all of these guys. Yeah, um, this is like I probably just like reach for someone after them. but <laughs> Yeah, like I'd rather take a kind chance, of skip I guess. this round. And yeah. I don't know. I the, the guy I put down is Pineda. I just yeah. – uh, he's going to get run support. I think he's a good pitcher. Um I, you know, he's fine there. Not super thrilled. Like the ceiling's not super high. I worry about the innings, but he's, he's probably my target. My fade here would be Tapia. I just, we've been waiting for Rymel Tapia to be someone he's not for a long time and nothing's really changed there in Colorado. So um, if you're getting Tapia, you're only using him half the time and not even that you're only using him at home against righties. And that's a very kind of small subset of when you want to use somebody like that. So maybe as like a, as a fab streamer, uh, if you're churning those last couple picks uh, on a weekly basis for fab, I would look at Tapia, but as a season long guy, he's a fade for me just because you're not going to use him that often. Um, yeah, an undervalue that I'm intrigued by, especially with the six-man rotation that might actually benefit him is James Paxton with Seattle at this point in the draft. I, I could see yeah. taking a chance on him there. And then my fade is Jared Walsh. Um, I, I think there's going to be some definite regression coming there. Plus, he will be platooning with Albert Pujols. I know he's on the, the positive side of the platoon, but that is going to happen. So mm-hmm. don't count that one as, a, as strong as people want to count it type thing. That makes sense. All right. Round 20, 229 to 240. Wrapping this one up here. Melanson, LeClerc, Hung Sung Kim, um, Soria, Lux, Senzel, DeYoung, Taylor, Dozier, Montgomery, Andrew Vaughn, and Buster Posey. Who are your undervalued plays here? Uh, 
Easiest call to, of of the middle rounds is Nick Senzel. I, yeah. I just uh, you're you're at a point in the draft where you can take on that injury risk, and if it doesn't work out, that's fine. But uh, and Nick Senzel is for me like there's just gobs of upside there if he just stays healthy. He's shown he can do it in the majors. He just has to stay on the field, and yeah, the price is just super cheap. Um, and kind of taking this discussion to like a larger point is I've listed a few kind of outfield stolen base guys in these last couple rounds and so one thing I like to do is kind of look at these middle round targets look at the guys I like and kind of build my early rounds from that so um, it is kind of nice to know there are some stolen base targets and guys with upside available in the 15th to 20th round um, because I know I kind of have that in my back pocket if I need some steals so anyway Senzel um, Hunter Dozier I'm buying the COVID rebound he's another target for me a a guy who a year ago um, was going nowhere near this price and I just think uh, he was affected by it big time, um, just never got going, started the year on the COVID list and and never got going. So uh, Dozier as well. Yeah, I like both those. Those are I'm a big fan of. The other guy I'd mention, uh, the more and more talk comes out of Chicago, Andrew Vaughn is going to be up sooner than later. Yeah. He's going to be yep. hitting a lot. So I think that's an intriguing one as well. Uh, who are your fades in this range? Uh, Chris Taylor is probably my biggest fade. I just, LA seems ho on giving Gavin Lux another chance this year. And I think that's to Chris Taylor's detriment. So, um, you're looking at a guy who's kind of going to be what he was the last few years and playing maybe three times a week. And that's frustrating as hell in a weekly lineup. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm with you. I have not been able to draft Chris Taylor anywhere. I just can't yeah. bring myself to do it. Um, all right. That's uh 10 rounds in the books. Lots Ooh. of good stuff there as expected. Um, Let's get to some listener questions. We got some really good ones tonight. Um, John Mazzoni asks, what mid-round starting pitchers are most likely to make the jump into being a pocket ace in 2020 drafts? Now, that's that's a large jump. But um, who's the guy, let's say, top five rounds next year? Because pocket aces, you're asking a lot. Yeah, no, you're right. And that's what I was going to say, too. Like, any of this, even if and when some of these guys break out in 2021, like, they're not going to be aces just because yeah. regression. Um, that said, I, I talked about Corbin, so I could see him someone going a little bit earlier, um, than what we talked about tonight, but Joe Musgrove, I I'm really on the Musgrove train. I know it's kind of like a broken record. The whole industry has loved Joe Musgrove for years, but we tagged a pretty impressive upside speculation on Musgrove and the forecaster. And I think if he breaks out like that with San Diego, his current ADP is like 120. So he just missed kind of our cutoffs here, but uh, I I could see Musgrove being a second round pick this time next year. Yeah, I definitely could see that. Um, and then Corbin, I'm with you. I I want to say Paxton. I just don't think he has enough innings to do it. No, so that that yeah. one's tough. Uh, uh, yeah. A guy going next to Musgrove again could be an innings concern as well. If Lance McCullers could ever throw 150 plus innings, I I love that curveball too much, but I just I don't know how it's going to happen. Um, Steve Brunn asks favorite Marlins starting pitcher. Yeah, I'm going to go Alcantara. Um, mostly because like, I think he could, if if we're talking like bold predictions, he could lead the major leagues and innings pitch this year. Mm -hmm. Like I really love, uh, the volume floor, uh, with Sandy Alcantara. Um, and he's kind of one of those guys who, He's got a track record now of out pitching his peripherals each of the last three seasons. I know the sample hasn't been huge, obviously in 2020, but or in, or in 18. Um, but he's been, he's shown that and he, 
similar to what we were talking about with Cleveland, Miami's going to let him ride. So um, I think he's one of the few guys who has 200 inning upside in 2021. So he'd be my pick, Alcantara, for for my Marlins starter. Yeah, I love that. He's a guy that I've said for a while is if you love Kyle Hendricks, you should love Kyle, yep. uh, Alcantara. They're so like, I know Kim for uh, St. Louis. He's the the poor man's Kyle Hendricks, and I get it because it's way later. But Alcantara, if you just put their stats side by side, they're very, very similar. Um, I still say yep. Hendricks is better, but a lot of things to like with Alcantara. So I like that call uh, quite a bit. Let's go to as I can find it, uh, Corbin at Corbin underscore young 21 asks, it's a fun one. What's the best middle round beer? Meaning one that most don't select, but you think is undervalued. Uh, we both enjoy our IPAs and uh, whatnot. I think this was a loaded question because it's kind of, could be regional bias, but, but yeah. um um, like if you had to pick one, what's your mid-round beer? I think I'd go like, so yeah, you don't want to go super, you don't want to go, this is a fantastic question. You don't want to go super cheap, right? You don't want to go yeah. down into the, into the Miller Coors. We'll save those for the end game, yeah. for the end of the night. Um, I, I'm not going to go IPA either. I, I take those in the early rounds. Those are, th- yeah. those are things I'll pay up for and, and I'm going to, I'm going to hit on. Um, so I'm going to go like a, just like a, a quiet good pale ale so we'll we'll say um we'll say a sierra nevada pale um something that's i don't really ever order just because if i'm gonna go i kind of either go kind of the light beer route or if i go the high end kind of ipa and i'm never in that middle game so i'll go a nice little pale and uh also important to if you are actually drafting in the middle rounds and having a beer don't go too don't go too heavy too early so you stick with those (laughs) you know, five percenters and, and stay away from the seven eights, at least until, uh, until later on. Yeah. Don't go double and triple IPA and out the gate. That's going <sighs> to make things, that's going to make things real. You might not make it to the end of the draft. Let's put it that way. By, by the time you're, yeah. By the time you're, <laughs> you're taking the wrong Will Smith in the, in yep. the middle rounds, if you're doing that. <laughs> yeah. That, that'll get sporty. I'll get really, you'll pick in Framber Valdez and you'll be angry later on. But uh, yeah, I think that's a great You're call. Still not over that, are you, Bubba? No, I'm not going <laughs> to ever be like. I, no, I, I love him so much. I'm literally like two hours after I picked him. That was so just unbelievable. But um, and I watched the start of the night before. That was the worst part. Um, but yeah, no, that, that's a great call with the paleo because the IPAs, you, those are your premiums. Like you're coming out early with those, yep. and uh, your Coors Lights, your Millers, whatever. That's that's definitely the end game. So I, I could go with a good Sierra, and I'm, I'm like you though. I don't really order them very often. That's not my deal. Like I enjoy an I get like one or two IPAs, get relaxed, call the night. Like you don't have to go crazy. So yep. um, yeah, with you 100 percent on that. But great question. I like yeah, the kind of off the wall ones there. That, that was, was legit. I like that one. Um, John Wilder asks. Do you like to double up on any hitting positions in particular during the middle rounds before snagging your starter at a different position, uh, getting a second shortstop before they drop off instead of getting your starting first baseman, for example? Uh, so basically this could be a mid-round question or a draft question in general. Do you really care what positions you're drafting? I know basically he's asking, do you fill out your roster first or you just kind of go? Yeah, so I'm glad you – because I, I don't really care uh, about yeah. positions. And actually, I've found – I th- maybe it's just by chance, but I just like a lot of the shortstops early. And I, yeah. I've gone pocket sixes a, a few times. I did it in labor and in TGFBI, taking two shortstops in, I think, in both of those leagues in the first three rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and just because – you know, no scarcity, but I just, I, I don't care about position at that point. I just want to take the best player. Now the kind of corollary to that is, and when you're, when we're talking middle rounds is you do need to know, like, 
and I talk about working backwards, like where are the guys that you like and where are they going later on in the draft? Because you do need to um, to account for that early on. So if I love a few shortstops going in the 10th or 12th round, maybe I don't take uh, an early shortstop. But um, in general, I don't worry about positions at all early in the draft. I'm just taking the best possible guys. And in general, I'll figure it out later. Um, it, it's kind of hurt me a couple of times in terms of a couple of shortstops that I wanted later. But um, um, it's 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 pretty low on the things I'm considering with those early round picks. I'm, I'm more just really in the, those early rounds. The only thing I'm worried about is avoiding landmines. That's the only thing I care about that early yeah. in the draft. I'm with you there, and that's kind of how I am. I'm not focused on the position per se. It's more that as I get deeper in the draft, I know where my kind of cutoff points are. I need a guy before this section of players. Mm-hmm. And so I don't have to force my hand early if I want, but at least I know when I need to be a little more aggressive and that's what I'll, I'll, I'll care about the position more than anything. So yep. I'm hundred percent with you there. Uh, Michael Fazio, he asks, he has two questions here and <laughs> you don't have to name several, but he says name several pitchers. You anticipate jumping into the elite tier and or tier two. Um, you don't have to name several, but do you have a couple guys you think might take that next step this year? Uh, so I mentioned Musgrove. I, I, I firmly believe in him. Um, uh, Eflin, Molly, obviously talked about those guys. Someone we haven't talked about who I really like is, is Pablo Lopez. I could see him taking another step. He's a guy who had, he had one bad outing in, in 2020 gave up, I think seven runs against Atlanta towards the end of the season, kind of torpedoes his ERA. But Lopez does a few things that, uh, that a lot of stats don't really account for. His tunneling is really good. His cutter, his changeup, both and, and four seam all have the exact same tunnel and go three different directions. So I uh, love the way that Pablo Lopez pitches. I'll, I'll, I'll throw him out there as well since we haven't talked about him. Yeah. I love the Pablo Lopez comment because he's a guy that started figuring it out even more last year, but the year before and last year at home, he's lights out. He loves yep. that ballpark to pitch in, which good ballpark to pitch in, but he, he's really, really good there. So if you've been just streaming or whatnot, he's, he's a target. Um, if he wants to talk elite tier, I've been saying that the whole time. I think he's already elite, but to me, people think the elite tier is Bieber, DeGrom, and Cole. I think Gilito enters that realm next year, but that's me. That's not taking a big stab, but that's a guy that I think is huge in that uh, regards. And Bueller eventually, if Bueller ever gets to throw innings, he is in the elite tier. So. It's just yeah, it's just an innings thing for him, man. That's all he's got to do. He's there. I mean, he's yeah. shown it. He's got he's got the four pitch repertoire. He misses bats with four different pitches. Like he's just got to he's just got to not start slow and and get yep. those innings up. So with you. And then his other question is, how undervalued is Meadows right now? Does anyone see him turning into a Yelich type player? Absolutely. Um, I was all over Meadows. Unfortunately, last year he was. I was taking him at like the two three turn last year. Um, I, I really believed in it. And so before last year I had his box in the forecaster and, um, I put a little upside comment at the end of his box saying that he would be a first rounder in 2021. Obviously that didn't happen. Um, the, I, I think 2020 is a complete pass for Austin Meadows, uh, COVID pretty bad, never got going. I think you throw out 2020 and he's got the pedigree. He's the same guy. I think he was a year ago when he was going in the third round and you're getting him at a, you know, sixth, seventh round price. He's tearing it up in spring training, which again, doesn't mean a whole lot, but it at least shows me that he's 
feeling good. And if Austin Meadows is feeling good, he's good enough to be that second round player that you can get in the early middle round. So, um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm big time in on, on Austin Meadows, uh, coming off that, uh, that, that dumpster fire season. Yeah. I've reached for him in my last two drafts, I guess reached compared to his ADP. Cause I'm a hundred percent with you is I kind of wanted to wait and see if he was healthy. Cause I, I, I agree with the COVID thing. He looked extremely lost in the postseason and the regular season. So there was concerns, but like his ADP is 88 right now. I'd be willing to ramp him up to like a fourth round pick if you had to. I think the potential for a Meadows is huge, as you mentioned. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm 100% on board with that. And he's shown it in spring. He's hitting bombs. So that's good. And the last question we have here is from a loyal listener of the show, MS at SMMS79. He was probably the most polite question I've ever had in my 351 episodes where he says, if the, if you have other like important stuff, just kind of let this one go. Just, but, just uh, put this one to the. I was like, Wow, you're too nice. But um, I thought it was an interesting question. He said, sometimes I spend ages planning only to foil myself by getting too excited when the time to actually draft rolls around. Have you ever experienced this? And if so, how do you combat combat it? Do you have any draft mantras to keep yourself in check? Well, first, don't have any doubles and triple IPAs. That's a starter. But um, what uh, what kind of things do you have? Because I, I know what he's saying. If you you can over-prepare or you get nervous and you like you're – deciding between three players and you get mad because you feel like you took the wrong guy and just kind of unravels on you. Like we've all been there. It's, it's a weird deal. So like, what do you do to kind of keep yourself focused on, you know, eye on the prize? Yeah. So two things that I'll say, and it's easy to say this, but like we're humans, like we get rattled and I got, especially if you're doing like a live draft, like I got rattled hell in my first main event. I was in New York city and um, actually drafting next to Phil Dussault, who I did not even know was Phil Dussault at the time, Um, (laughs) but just surrounded by all these, uh, these great players. And I was just like, man, and I was rattled. Um, It happened. So that's the first thing is I would just say it's natural to feel that way. Um, Even if, other people at your draft table aren't outwardly showing anxiety or, um, you know, worrying about their draft or having a, you know, having a snipe or getting someone they didn't want. Um, it happens to everybody in every draft, even if they don't show it. So you're not alone. Um, a couple of things that I do to combat it is really like, I, I really try and map out probably two to three different scenarios of my first four rounds, just because, I don't want to get thrown off early in the draft. And I figure if I can get through the first four rounds or whatever with guys that I like, I'll at least start getting in the groove of the draft and, and start rolling from there as opposed to being thrown off early on and, and, and being shook the, the rest of the draft. Um, the last part that I'll say is you will make a bad pick. Don't, mm. don't let that bad pick burn you twice. Um, just, you did it move on like we we both play golf Bubba. it's it's the same thing as hitting a bad golf shot like like it happens every draft every round multiple times around uh maybe hopefully not a draft but but you just have to you can't let it beat you twice you make a bad pick just move on and that and, and it's natural that feeling lingers like you make a bad pick it's in the back of your head and then you think your whole draft um is kind of thrown off from there but it's not as bad as it seems so just you know make your pick move on to the next round and and, and just keep going don't look back in the middle of a draft it's like we say in golf after a bad hole there's all we're on to a new hole new oh. nine or something like it's always <laughs> different like you, know, you gotta figure it out but uh it's so true because um we've all been there I, one thing i've heard you say many times is you, like, you map out your draft like you said and that, that's something I, i've mentioned on this show is you know have like your you need to take you want to have like no worse than the shortstops. So that's when you start reaching or 
just have like a little set in your player pool. These are the guys I want. So if I missed them here, no big deal. I'll get one here. Like you just have your idea, which is kind of like mapping out, know the player pool. That's like something I preach over and over again. Just that's why we do best balls or we do mock drafts or whatever, DCs, whatever you want to do to get your mindset on the player pool. I think that helps you so much when something does go wrong, you're fine. And you want to talk about, you know, even to this day, when Framber got hurt, I was in a mental midget for a while come draft, like trying to figure out, okay, I just took a high pick, another decently high pick on a pitcher, which I was counting for X, Y, and Z. So I passed on all these hitters. Now I got to figure this out. And it starts making you do some dumb things. But um, the more I've, I've re-looked at the draft and written stuff down, I'm like, okay, well, we'll make this work. But it uh, definitely a, a lot of it wasn't my normal strategy. Let's put it that way. And it, it happens. It happens to everybody. So definitely yeah. a good and question. A lot, of, a lot of times you'll see too, like, I mean, there are um, – even overall main event winning teams, there are bad picks on those teams, like often early in drafts. Um, mm-hmm. It happens. You can still win a league and not have uh, even your, like, so in labor mix last year, Fred Zinke won labor and he picked Justin Verlander as his first round pick and he dominated well. labor. Um, you can overcome those things. It's not, that's the beauty of fantasy baseball really is, uh, you know, you're not so dependent on one guy. You can, you can have early round picks bust and it's going to happen and you can still win. So. Yeah. As, as, as much fun as the draft is, it's only a portion of the season. So you have to do so much more. And even if you think you had a great draft, you're going to have an injury or two that makes you just want to bang your head against the wall. It's going to yeah. happen in a long season. So you have to adjust then too. So part of me wants to adjust early. Like let's go early before prices go through the roof and fab. Let's let's start doing that kind of stuff. Um, You you kind of built the the second after TGFBI draft based on not having Framber Valdez. So yeah, like you can, it's almost better to have it out of the way early, adjust for it. Give me the news now instead of, Instead of two days after we finish the entire draft, we find these information out. It's like, oh no, like I'm in a, uh, I'm in a big chat with Justin Mason and guys and, the uh in the last three days he's had four guys basically get put out for a while and i was just like oh man like you can't do anything about that you're just ah so not again yeah. just i know again. that's like the running book in there right now it's like not again but um yeah we'll see what happens but we'll wrap it up there we'll call it a night um always fun my friend uh go ahead and plug everything once again before we we sign off Yes, sir, man. Uh, really appreciate the invite. Always fun. Time flies when I'm talking with you. So we yeah. flew through 10 rounds of a middle round draft and felt like 15 minutes. So um, yeah, at Ryan BHQ as well. You'll find me on Twitter. Look for my hashtag bloom boards. Uh, search them on Twitter and you'll see them all there. And writing wise on baseballhq.com. Yeah, I, I highly recommend people join Baseball HQ because um I, I read a lot. Of, I used to listen to more podcasts than I do read, but you're one of the sites I do read because it, it's articles that make me think or at least point out things I didn't think about looking at. So uh, it, it, it's really, really good stuff. It's not just a standard, hey, here's you know the top four of this or that. Like, there's actually like depth to like almost every article you guys put out there. So it it really um, it, it's really good stuff. So I highly recommend people check that out. So that'll wrap us up. As always, thanks for joining me. We'll do it again sometime. And one of these days when, you know, COVID ends and everything and we get back to normal life when our kids are older, so a long ways from now, we'll have to meet up and play, we'll have to meet up and play golf. So I think oh, yeah. that I think yeah, that'd be a little as well. I'll, but, I'll head on down there and uh, and we'll you got better courses than we do in better weather. So I'll head on down there and yeah, we'll we'll do we'll do a fun little weekend when we can. Not, that sounds awesome. But uh, until then, everybody, this was Bench with Bubba, episode 351 with Ryan Bloomfield of Baseball HQ talking middle round draft targets. Catch you guys later.